Hello, hello, hello. As we said in Hawaii, 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 Hawaii. I was a Hawaiian native, you know, I was born there. Never been back. There's only a territory when I was born, though. Born there, though. Not quite worried if it's going to be a state or not. So we're in chapter 5, verse number 2. Yeah, I think so. It's our word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. Thank you, Father, for uh, letting us gather together this morning, Father. And pray, God, you bless the lesson today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in chapter 2. My notes are on. Here we go. Okay. So. Chapter 5, verse number 2. We were talking about last week. We talked about, we talked about last week. Talked about keep thy foot or, you know, when you're in church, come to worship. Be ready to worship when you come to church. Amen. Okay, I think that's what we got. That's right away. Verse number 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth, therefore let thy words be few. Be not rash in thy mouth. <laughs> Everybody ever do that before? Yes. Say things and go, whoops. <laughs> wish I wouldn't have said that. Or someone else goes, whoops, I wish you wouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's even worse. So he talks about hastiness in spirit. You know, just talking to God disrespectfully um, look at chapter 9 uh, chapter 7 verse 9 there Ecclesiastes it says be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry for anger resteth in the bosom of fools so he's, he's talking about don't be hasty in prayer don't just you know like God owes you something Amen. Uh, he warns against it here it's a mistake to do that uh, Ill-considered words may pour out in anguish or resentment. You ever get mad at God before? You can raise, I'll raise my hand. One of my, yeah, I've got mad at God before because he didn't work things out the way, you know, my plan is lying dive right out here for you. I don't know why you couldn't, you know, and I get a little nasty with that and, and got angry with God because, you know, things didn't work out right. But whose plan are we working under here anyways? We're living under God's plan. You know, my plan, he, not this time, nope, not this life, you know, so God's in control, and it's hard sometimes when we really want something, and we pray hard, and we don't get it, it's kind of hard to say, I guess that's God's will, but we get kind of, in our minds, we're kind of, you know, resentful about it, and God says, don't do that. Careless words are a, a reflection of the inner life. Where do our words come from? Let me show you something. Look at uh, Matthew 15. You're exactly right. Matthew 15. Matthew 15. 15. Look at verses 10 and 11. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, 
not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defileth a man. Look at verse number uh, 20. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. He was talking to the Pharisees because his, his disciples didn't wash up before they started eating stuff, and he was upset about that. They were upset about that. But it's not what comes out of our mouth. It's what comes out of our heart. It's our inner being that, that makes us, it's our soul, it's our spirit that controls our feelings. And they express themselves sometimes when maybe they shouldn't be expressed or before we really think about what we're going to say. I've done that so many times. So heaven here, he says, God is in heaven. God's dwelling place is in heaven. And ours is on the earth. There's a difference there. <laughs> you know, God's kind of putting us in our place here, or the preacher here is, you know, God's in heaven. We are on the earth. And he reminds us that heaven is uh, God's dwelling place, and it's a place of his greatness. God's in heaven. We're not there yet. So our impatience with God here is being rebuked. God's greatness compared to our not-so-greatness, smallness. You could even say insignificant sometimes in the scheme of everything. We're important to God, but you know our lives are short compared to eternity, aren't they? Amen. On earth, that is. So man must always be entreating, always asking and pleading with God. We're not God's equal. How many folks have ever heard, I told God, you know? And you know what God said? God said no. <laughs> I've heard preachers say that. I told God that I'm going to do this and this and this. And I kind of laughed. I said, ooh, can't wait to hear God's answer about that. You know, we don't tell God anything. We ask. We implead. We, we implore. We, we almost beg. We, we ask. Amen. Earnestly ask for things. Right. God gives us. God blesses us. But we've got to kind of keep our... We, we can't treat God as an equal. Amen. To restrain the tongue is the preacher's way of wisdom. Look at verse 3. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Still continuing with verse number 2, because you see the word for. So the last part of verse two, 2 says, Let thy words be few for or because a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Do you ever pray, and you kneel down to pray, and all of a sudden your mind is just flooded with stuff? And you're trying to concentrate on your prayer. Helps to have a list, I guess. But if you're just sitting there praying, sometimes you just get invaded with all these thoughts about today and the problems at hand and what's going on. And you, you try to pray, but, you know, God knows the news. Mm -hmm. And we try to, you know, God, there's, you know, all this stuff's going on. So it kind of, kind of diffuses what we're trying to say because we're, we're so full of stuff in our mind we can't concentrate. And you almost got to pray before you pray. Amen. Lord, help me be able to pray, you know, because we, our, our minds are always going, um, and we know, especially if we have something really heavy on our mind, we really, it's, it's really churning in us, we, we tend to concentrate on that, and, and we don't always pray as well as we should, we just have things flooding in us, 
then a bunch of words come out and they don't always mean anything. Long prayers, real long ones, they just go on and on. Don't, God doesn't impress God. What do you, you know, what's the, where's the beef here, I guess? What's, what's, the, what's the prayer? So he says, a fool pours out a multitude of vain thoughts. Verse number four, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou hast vowed. So I said last week, I've, I've broken vows about things that, God, if you do this, I'll do this. And God did this, and I didn't do this until God worked on me. I thought we were going to stop this. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. You know? But we foolishly sometimes we vow these things, and you know, God takes those kind of seriously. So the preacher says, if you make a vow, and back then they might make a vow to a priest or someone in the temple there, they make a vow or a promise, and then they don't keep it. And it was pretty... Um, Back in Israel in the old times, that's what they did a lot. They make these vows, and they don't keep it. Then all of a sudden, the vow collector comes by. <laughs> you know, the bill collector? You got the vow collector coming by. And it might be a prayer for a blessing. It might be anything what it is, you know, but, but it pertains to our prayer. And he says, make, you know, have caution when making a vow. Be careful what you vow. Remember back in 1 Samuel, Hannah made a vow, didn't she? I'm going to give my, my son to the church. And what'd she do? She did it. Amen. You know? Uh, she kept her vow. God blessed her. God, God gave her what she asked for. And she kept her vow. But that was hard. You know? Here, here's my son. I lent him to the Lord. She gave him back. Remember uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they vowed a vow, and they didn't keep it. They vowed so much money, they kept back part of it. You know, while it's in your control, it's, it's still yours. You don't have to vow or anything. While it's in your control, Amen. you know, uh, but they, they let things get the best of them, and they, they, they vowed a vow, and God, God wanted payment, and he, and he took it. He, he killed both of them. So make, don't, don't make all these promises to God. Think about them first. Because they're serious to God. A vow isn't kind of a... Uh, verse, verse number five. Better is that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. You don't have to vow. You don't have to promise God anything. It's with your help, Lord. Amen. If you enable me, Lord, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to go up and, you know do this or that. You're not going to do anything unless God lets you do it. God allows you to do it. God helps you do it. Because he doesn't want it to be in the flesh, does he? No. He's a part of that. So be careful. So vowing vows you can't pay is a mark of a fool. Once you've made a vow, how many of you promised your kids stuff before? (laughs) I've had lawsuits for my kids. You promised this for Christmas. You didn't give it to me. That's when I promise. If the Lord wills, you'll get this. If he doesn't, 
You know, I, but I've promised things. We all have. You promise things, and then all of a sudden, you do the big gulp. I can't do that. <laughs> what am I thinking? You know, I had my fingers crossed, my legs crossed, my toes crossed. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't mean anything. You know? When it's under our control, it's an option. We can control that. We don't have to make a vow. But once you've vowed, then you're brought under an obligation, aren't you? And people tend to hold you to it. My kids will remember things I promised that I never remember promising before. But they keep these books <laughs> called a promise book. It's not what you think, it's what dad says. Mom says, he promised it. And they get back here at chapter and verse, or you said this. And uh, really? I don't remember that. Well, I've got it right here. You sure? So it's better not to vow. It's more acceptable to God that you not vow, and it's better for man. So you're under this obligation, you must perform it. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Verse number six, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Amen. God doesn't take broken vows lightly sometimes. Sometimes he will admonish us or judge us for that. Neither say before the angel, that's, uh, there in the old in the in the Hebrew there's no distinction between an angel and a messenger. Same thing to them. You know, it could be an angel of the Lord, could be a prophet, could be a priest, could be a messenger of the priest. That's probably more like what it is. The priest heard your vow, and all of a sudden he uh, sends his messenger to say, "Hey, you promised this, and you didn't fulfill your vow." You didn't do what you said you were going to do. And then the person says, oh, it was a mistake. I misvowed. Can you misvow? I made a mistake. It was an error, it says here. It was an error. I didn't really mean that. So it's, it's very careless to do that. And they say, I, it, was, it was a mistake. But God sees, and this careless approach to him can bring anger, can bring his admonition to you. You know, if you're going to vow something, do it. Otherwise, you're safer not to vow. Amen. That's a hard lesson to learn, but once you learn that, you know, you burn a few bridges along the way, you kind of, you don't want to do this, I'm not going to promise anything. That's why I tell the union, I'm not going to promise anything. I'm not even going to think about anything. <laughs> I'm not going to promise anything. Because so, then it becomes a precedent. Mm -hmm. You said, you did, now you got to do. Promise nothing. Promise become the work will pay you, but, you know, they really want stuff in promises. They really want stuff. Verse number seven, for in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. There are various opinions on this verse, but they all make the same point. People are prone to say and do things in the moment and say things that maybe they can't fulfill or can't mean. They just do it at, at the moment. I think we're all guilty of that. 
But if a vow is made, God knows about that. If it was a sincere vow, God knows about that. Does God know if you're going to do it when you make it? Sure he does. He knows the future. He knows what you're going to do or how you're going to feel. But the remedy, he says here in this verse, is to fear God. Now, the next several verses, maybe into chapter 6, talks about poverty and wealth. My favorite subjects. When you're in poverty, what do you think about? Wealth. When you're in wealth, what do you think about? Not being in poverty, yeah. Kind of what we're talking about here. So these, these various proverbs in this section are, are, are tied together by the themes of poverty and wealth. We have reference to the poor. We have money. We have increase of good things. We have a rich man. We have riches. We have riches and wealth. We have the poor man. Okay, so let's look at verses uh, 8 and 9 of chapter 5. The poor under oppressive bureaucracy. Anybody been there before? Sure we have. Josh is there now. Bureaucratic nightmare trying to figure out if he can you know, keep his job or not. Bureaucrats. Um, I've been in bureaucracies most of my adult working life. The military was a bureaucracy. Yes, sir. Bureaucrats everywhere. Uh, public service is a bureaucracy. Uh, Try and buy a bus. All the federal stuff you got to do and all the hoops you got to jump through. Not that you're going to buy a bus. I mean, if you have a million dollars, go ahead and do it. But I mean, just all the stuff you got to do. There's 80 pages of just legalese before you even get to what you want to buy. All these contracts and stuff. It just, you know, bureaucracy. It's layered upon layer. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Amen. There's layers and layers and layers. And the guy who's in charge doesn't even know what's going on most of the time. There's bureaucracies, then there's higher levels of that. And they're all working, and they don't always, you know, we always had to, we spent we had our annual meetings at work, and we spent, I don't know how many weeks we spent, trying to find our goals for the next year. How about trying to stay in business? Yeah, it was all these lofty goals that we had to address. Now they're having to address, I read them this, this last week. It has to address equity, the environment, and the environment, and environmental things, and equity. <laughs> I mean, that's every other word was this. You got to work on that. Got to work on. So they were, you know, not that we're going to drive our buses and stop every third block and pick people up and take them where they're going to go. No, we're more concerned about all the fluff around there. And that's just bureaucratic nonsense. Amen. You know? And uh, we used to spend weeks on that, trying to get it concise, safe, reliable, friendly. You know, stuff that mattered to people, folks. You know, can I get on a safe bus and get to where I'm going? Maybe even get off at the time I'm supposed to get off. You know, all that kind of stuff that really matters. Now it's fluff. People are more concerned about equity than, you know, can I get to where I'm going? It's it's sad to where, and, and this, the government we have now just layering more and more and more and more on there. You have people in charge of everything. So the preacher considers the frustrations of oppressive bureaucracy. Let me define bureaucracy. 
bureaucracy is excessively complicated administrative procedure. Excessively complicated administrative procedure. You ever had to deal with that before? Excessively complicated. Nothing's easy anymore. You can't go do something. There's just a layer here you got to go through. Then you got to go through the next one up, the next one up. And then they say, well, you got to go back down to the beginning because you didn't do that one, right? Or things changed. In the six months you've been trying to get this thing through, things have changed. Now you have to include equity in the environment. You know, whatever it is, it, it's just layers and layers, and that's why we can't get anything done. It's, it's just a bureaucratic nightmare. Had the same thing back here. Bureaucrats. Endless delays and excuses. And the poor can't afford to wait. People that, can't, that, that need things can't afford that. They don't understand what's going on. Because the folks in the bureaucracy don't understand what's going on. They just know it's got to go up there here first and have this signed or stamped or whatever it is, you know, and then come back. So they don't understand why they're doing that. Someone just layers that on so they can hire somebody else to administer it, it seems. So justice is lost between the layers of bureaucracy. There's an injustice here. Right. And they can't get it addressed because all the layers they have to go through. And by the time they get to where they have to go, nobody really cares. Well, that's just the way it is, the way it has been. Ever heard that before? It's the way it's always been. Well, I can look back here in Exodus, and it wasn't that way. Or somewhere else in the Bible, it wasn't always that way. The Bible doesn't talk about that. But yeah, I've had to deal with that bureaucracy before. Uh, it's just terrible. And he says there's no remedy. This is what human nature's like. Welcome. Bureaucracy. Verse number eight, we just saw that one. This, this, we looked before, I don't know, weeks ago, back in 1 Kings chapter 4, where Solomon divided his provinces into 12, divided his kingdom into 12 provinces and had, had leaders above those provinces. Those guys didn't even get along. But it says in the, in the last part of verse 8, uh, for they that is higher than the highest regard, if there's higher than they, there's a king here still. There's a king to make the final decisions if he needs to get that high. He'll do it. We don't have a king. So the explanation for the word for in verse number 8, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth there is higher than they. There's always somebody higher than the person you're dealing with. And what do they want to do? Got to talk to my boss. They kick it up one more notch, don't they, sometimes. It's just terrible. So there was some rivalry even between these 12 provinces. What were, their, what were these 12 provinces, what were they supposed to do? One month a year, they had to provide food for the king and all his needs up there. So it was one province a month had to do that. And we reviewed what a day's rations or a day's shopping was. You needed a Costco car to Mundo. I mean, you needed something, you know, the dump truck, the back up there to Costco. So they loaded up. That was for a day. So there's all this competition, and I'm sure there was some rivalry and some, some stress and whatever else there involved. So even he had bureaucracies involved there. But solutions are never found because of the layers. And that was even back in Bible time. Look at verse 9. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all, the king himself is served by the field. The context 
in this verse here is, you know, the official bureaucracy doesn't override the king's authority. The officials on, this, on these provinces don't, don't take the place of the king. They're just provinces. It's like the state doesn't tell the government what to do. We try sometimes, but we can't because if it's federal, it's federal, isn't it? So the king's still there, and there's advantages. The king's still there. The, the king himself is served by the field. There's a king over the land. Talk about money and its drawbacks, verses 10 through 12. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. So in these verses we're going to look at, let's, let's look at verse number um, 11 and 12. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them, and what good is there to the owners thereof, uh, saving to the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. So wealth can't satisfy covetousness. Wealth attracts a circle of dependence. You ever heard the saying, where there's a will, there's a relative? <laughs> yeah. You inherit all this money and guess how many relatives you have? Long lost ones, of course. Long lost relatives. And wealth disturbs one's peace. So verse number 10, a little silver should not be sat, uh, he that loveth silver will not be satisfied with silver. And silver is just a medium of, it, it could be gold, could be whatever. You know, whatever you, you have your eyes fixed on, you can't get enough of it. You keep wanting it. You have, you're not satisfied with what you have. You keep wanting more and more and more. And that's vanity. So poverty, if poverty has its problems, the love of wealth is not the best solution. Amen. It's not going to solve your problem. Uh, Psalm 37, 16 says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the, the riches of many wicked. Contentment. Amen. So abundance here reflects uh, whatever you're trying to hang on to, be it silver, gold, whatever it is. <clears throat> wrap this string around my button. So I can get it fixed. I'm trying to get in line to get it fixed, but too many things going on. So it'll be a missing button pretty soon, but that's okay. Okay. Sorry. So this abundance is your what you have, your possessions, all these things are, and everybody wants more. Uh, they speak of the capital one has. Everybody. Ever hear what someone, you know, this person is worth so much? This person is worth, you know, billions of dollars? He's worth about a buck two ninety-eight, like everybody else is, you know, if you boil down all of his components, right? Water, you know, we're all worth the same. They're talking about what his capital is, what his possessions are, what he's accumulating. That's what the worth is. If he's gone, what's that stuff going to be worth? Same thing. It's still going to be there. He's not. Yep. So we look at this. This person's worth a gazillion dollars. Well, we'll get to that later on. So while the abundance refers to gain and the hope of increase, it's a problem. Verse 11. 
When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Like I said, your circle of dependence starts to increase. You get all this money, then what do you need? Well, you need money managers. You get a bigger house, you need all these employees to maintain your house and your landscape. All this stuff, you keep adding, 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 adding. And then you watch your money come in, but then it's gone. Everybody eats it up. You make all this gold, all this money, but and you look at your checkbook, and it's, it's down really, really low because everybody eats up what you get so you can have what you want. So it's kind of a vicious circle there. Riches tend to disappear down the drain of increased responsibilities. The more you have, the more you want, and the more you want, you've got to have people to take care of that and protect that and everything else. So, so the, uh, the owners may see stuff come in, but then it just bleeds away, all these riches they have. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. The rich man suffers from insomnia. It's either physical problems or the increased cares and concerns and the worries that a rich man has. What's a rich man worried about? Losing his riches. We're out losing everything. He's worried about, oh, the stock market. Dow lost a gazillion points here the other day because of this corona thing. You know, that's why I don't put a lot of money in stocks. Some fickle thing like that happens, just fickle, who cares? Poof, you know, 500 points drops or something, you know. And that shatters everybody. People jump out the windows and say, oh, this is terrible, you know. Don't, don't like I was commenting about the stock market, I don't have any faith in it. I've lost money in it because they put all my savings in retirement stuff, my work did, and that's been blown up a few times over the course of the last five or six years. But, uh, but the laborer, comparatively poorer, sleeps good. Amen. Sleeps good. His daily work and his freedom from cares don't keep him awake. Now, how many times they had guys in the shop tell me how, to be, how I ought to be running the shop? And I say, well, you should have applied for the job when it came out. Right. You didn't do that. Now you work here. Yeah, but you, don't, you ought to do this. You know what? And I say, I have to go through the whole list of what I have to care about. All you got to do is read this job order and fix what you got to fix. I got to worry about having you here, parts here, having a bus here, uh, uh, resources. I got to worry about priorities. How many buses can I have afford to have out? I got to worry about, you know, people, all these things going on I worry about and stress over. And all you got to do is wrench. You can have my job. No, no, I'm just telling you, I've been doing this a long time. I just think you ought to try doing this. Okay. We'll see. I probably won't. But, you know, they all want to tell you, you do your job, and all you got to worry about is coming to work and wrenching. I got to get you to wrench. You know, so there's a lot of things, high responsibility, there's a lot of things you got to worry about. And, yeah, you don't sleep sometimes. You're worried about things. You, you worry about them. Verses 13 through 17, let's look at that, those verses. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun. Whenever he says I've seen, that means he's observed it, okay? 
seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth out of his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away uh, in his hand. Wealth loved and lost. So we see this wealth is acquired, but then the guy lost it. The person lost it. Uh, he has inability to pass anything along to his children or to take anything with him. Amen. So, verse 13, there's a sore evil which I have seen, observed under the sun, riches kept for the owner thereof to their hurt. They had so much money and they had it saved, and then what happened? Some evil travail. Something happened. Some calamity happened. And they lost it. Some crises, some investment thing he did maybe didn't work out. Uh, you can imagine anything. Some people stole it. Uh, who knows? But whatever it is, uh, this person kept this money and then they lost it to their hurt. Verse 14 but those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son. There's nothing in his hand. So he had all these riches and wealth, and then it's gone. He had nothing to pass on. Uh, sudden reversal. Could be gambling. Who knows what it is? People can, can destroy their wealth. Not hard at all. Um, some misguided venture. I'm going to invest all my money into this, and all of a sudden that doesn't, that's gone. But he had a son. Verse 15, as he came forth from his mother's womb, naked shall he go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. First Timothy 6, 7, Paul says, we've got nothing into this world, and as certain, we cannot carry anything out. This verse doesn't say he doesn't take nothing. It says he didn't take anything in his hand. You see that? Verse 15. He may carry away in his hand. Mm -hmm. What can we take with us? Not tangible stuff in our hand, but what do we take with us when we're gone? Okay, but our character, right. our testimony, yes. our conscience, all these things... We take with us, but there, they, there's also something left behind. How many of us remember great preachers and great people we've known that have that have passed on, and we have those memories, don't we? Sure, we do. Amen. Sure, we do. Amen. Verse 16, and this also is so evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? So. The sore evil, all points as he came, he shall go. Didn't bring anything into the world. I mean, I was born, I didn't have a bag with me. Hi, Mom, this is the stuff I like to wear. You know, I didn't have a suitcase with me. That would have cost extra. They charge <laughs> you for bags every more. So. No, you didn't bring anything with you. And when we go, everything stays. Right. Everything tangible stays. 
So it corresponds exactly. So he's saying that the accumulation of all this wealth is futile. If you just have it to have it, isn't it? What a man has in his hand at birth signifies the capital he brought in with him. Nothing. Didn't bring anything in. And you take out exactly what you brought in. See one more verse 17. And all his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. What did the man's wealth cost him? Talked already about the guy that's worried about his wealth and his riches, and, uh, you know, someone might be stealing it or mismanaging all these things he has stuff to worry about, and this darkness, it says, or he eateth in darkness. He, that word eateth means he, he works or he lives in darkness and much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. He's, he's worried about it. He's sick about it to physical sickness, uh, much sorrow, vexation, the cares and frustrations that are tearing at him about his wealth. Wrath tells of the times he was enraged over, you know, bad investments. You ever uh, buy something or invest in something or pay for something that was junk? Just me? No. Nodding your head? Yeah, I did that the other day. I can't remember what it was. But I didn't like it at the time. I spent this money on something and said, doesn't even work. And so I'll have to get rid of it or something. You know, you can't take it back, whatever. But yeah, we all get mad when we spend money on things that don't work. Bad investment or something. Or, you know, invest in, you know, something that really sounds, sounds great and all of a sudden it doesn't even exist or anything, you know. Uh, I like to watch the History Channel sometimes. I talked about these folks that, you know, invented the subways and trains and all this stuff. They had to get people to invest in that, and they didn't know what they were even talking about. It was a concept. Invest in this. Help me produce this, and you'll get rich. <laughs> you might, if it goes. If it doesn't, or someone's got their better, faster, with more, who knows. So there's, there's risk involved in that, and this, this man took those risks, and the cost was tragic. He lost things. He was angry over this these foiled investments that he did. It didn't pan out. So the cost was very tragic to him, all these things, and it affected him physically. So it might, nice to, it might be nice to think about being rich, but I just want enough to get by. I want to be comfortable, but well, I sure won't have to worry about some bank failing or merging or some governmental thing that could happen, which could really happen, you know, that, that would take away or make me worry about it so much. I'm not worried about them hiring 80,000 IRS agents. <laughs> much. You know, those ought to be cops, not IRS agents. You know what I mean? Anyways, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank the Lord for the day, Lord. Pray, God, you bless those who are still coming in. Father, you give them safety. Pray, Lord, you bless pastors. He preaches, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.